1 John chapter 2. Remember, the whole theme of 1 John is going deeper with Jesus. That's John's desire. It's why he wrote the letter. He says, I write these things unto you. These things have I written unto you that believe. You already believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. That's how we're going to go deeper with the Lord is to have assurance of our salvation, and that in doing so, you might believe on the name of the Son of God. You keep trusting the Lord. You go deeper with the Lord. And so the way that John is assuring our hearts of our salvation, he's giving us that, is through three tests. His letter revolves around these three tests. And in the first two tests, John described the Christian life to us as a progression. Those who are born again, they progress in their obedience to God, and they progress in their love for one another. Now, Within those two tests, John said some heavy things about the person who claims to know the Lord, but they're not progressing in obedience and love. He said in 1 John 2, 4, he that says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth isn't in him. He said in verse 9, he that says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. So within the midst of those heavy things that John says, because his purpose is for those who know the Lord to go deeper with him, He doesn't want anyone who's new to the faith or who's struggling with something to become discouraged by these tests. He wants us to know that we're saved. He wants a true believer to know they're saved so they can keep growing. So before moving on to test number three, John explains the things genuine believers experience in their various stages of growth as a Christian. So we pick it up in verse 12 of chapter 2 of 1 John. He says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. And I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. This little aside seems to come out of nowhere at first, but again, he's desiring that wherever we're at in our progress as a Christian, that we would be assured of our salvation. And so he starts off here by kind of just laying something that's foundational to all of God's children. He says in verse 12, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. John says, the reason I'm writing this letter, don't forget it. When I say some of these heavy things, don't forget it. Remember back in 1 John chapter 1, 3, and 4, he says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you that your joy might be full. He, he said, don't forget that. My, my whole purpose here to, to talk about these serious things is so to, you can be assured, you can have deep fellowship with the Lord, the same fellowship we have with the Lord. And so he says, I'm writing unto you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Now, this word little children, sometimes I've heard this passage taught that he talks to each group twice, but that would not be correct. The word little children here is not the same word for little children down in verse 13. This word, which it's a little misleading that they translated it this way, this word means born ones. Wherever John's letter is going to be read, those hearing it were going to be at different stages of progress in their growth as Christians. Our room this morning is no different. 
Some of you are, are very new believers, and some of you have been walking with the Lord for a long time, maybe even decades. And some of you have matured a lot in that time, and some of you less. But John's first point that he makes here is that no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus or what that journey has looked like compared to others, all genuine believers are God's kids. We're all God's kids. We've all been born from above, placed in Christ by our faith alone. Our standing before God is the same no matter how long we've known the Lord or how far we have progressed in our relationship with Him. Now, why can I say that? He explains, I'm writing unto you, little children, all of you born ones. I'm writing to all of you who are God's kids because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. This is something that no matter where you're at on the progress chart, no matter how you've grown in the Lord, if you're born again, this is true for all of us. This is the standard for all of us. Every believer is completely forgiven. This word here, forgiven, it's in the perfect tense, which means it's a completed action with results that go on into the future. He says, I'm writing to you, born ones, because your sins have been completely dismissed, completely pardoned. Your guilt has been completely removed. Jesus, when he spoke those famous words, it is finished from the cross, also spoke in the perfect tense. He means not just it is finished, but it stands completed. It is done. It has been forever settled. So all of us, if you're born again, all of your sins have been forgiven, and it tells us why, for His namesake, because of or on account of His namesake, Jesus' reputation. Now, a person's reputation comes not just from what they do, but also from who they are, who they are and what they do. In other words, we are not completely forgiven just because any person lived a sinless life and died on a cross. I was deeply disappointed when I recently heard something about Disney's candlelight service they do every year. I enjoy going to that. Me and Bev have done that on many occasions because um, it's just, it it blows me away. You know, we we sit down and they read Scripture, they read the, the gospel story, and they sing these amazing Christmas songs that declare the the deity of Christ, the incarnation, and and worship of God. And I'm sure there's some believers in the choir and everything, but I also know there's probably some unbelievers up there. And I also know that in the audience, I mean, these are always packed. And within the audience, I'm sure there's some believers, but I know there's a ton of unbelievers too. And I remember the first time I went to one of these, and I just, I couldn't even sing. I was just so convicted, because I thought to myself, Lord, there are unbelievers here glorifying you and, you know, declaring how awesome you are. What's my issue, like day to day throughout the week? And so that particular event has always been kind of special to me, and so me and Bev tend to go most years. Well, they've recently changed the way the monologue works, where whoever's the speaker they're going to get up there, and there's a line that they put in now, and it, it's going to say, and Jesus, he was just a man. Just a man. Jesus was not just a man. It was going to take far more than just a man who lived a sinless life and died on a cross to save us from our sins. We are completely forgiven because it was the sinless Son of God who stepped into our world as a man, lived a perfect life, and then bore the full brunt of His own wrath for our sin on the cross. That's why we are forgiven. That's His reputation. 
In Philippians chapter 2, Paul the Apostle describes this concept of the exaltation of Christ, his reputation. He says, who, Jesus, in Philippians 2 verse 6, being in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal with God. Yeah, it's such a weird phrase, you think, what did it mean, did not think it robbery to be equal with God? The word there for robbery, it means something to be held on to at all costs. I realize that there are some people out there who commit theft or robbery because of the thrill or whatever it might be, or just they're into mischief, but the majority of people who do that is because they're desperate. They're desperate. And in their mind, they think they, they'd rather take the chance of, of theft to take care of myself or get whatever it is I'm looking for than to not have it. And so the idea is it's something to be, I have to have this, I have to do this. And so they go do it. They make this very poor decision. Well, the idea when it says he did not, all the deity, all the, um, all the privileges of deity, all of the, the privileges of heaven, of being the Son of God in the heaven, that he didn't think that was something that needed to be held on to at all costs. There was something else that he was unwilling to let go of. That's you and me. And so it says that he stepped out of that. It says, who being in the form of God, the very substance of God, Jesus was fully God, but he didn't think that was the thing to hold on to at all costs. Instead, he made himself of no reputation, and he took upon him the form, the substance of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. He took on our our flesh and our, our bones, our blood. He became just like us, fully God still, but now also fully man. And being found in fashion, in the same appearance as we are as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him, not just exalted, but highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, just in case you, you thought someone was left out. Every name, every knee shall bow. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is the exalted, glorious name of Jesus that secures my complete forgiveness. And knowing Jesus, I know he would never settle for anything less than my complete forgiveness. John reminds us of this because He's just talked about, listen, if you're born again, you're going to be progressing in your obedience to God. You're going to be progressing in your love for others. And so sometimes you might say, oh, I, I, I need to grow in this area, or you know, maybe I'm not, I'm not, I don't like where I'm at in that area. But, and then we can all of a sudden, we can think that doing those things makes us more forgiven. And John doesn't want us to think that way because that's not true. John reminds us that obeying God and loving others doesn't make us more forgiven. They are byproducts of being completely forgiven. And so before John can address the different places that believers might be in their walk with the Lord, he establishes the truth that all believers start with the same standing before God, and that standing never changes, totally forgiven. If you've been walking with the Lord for 60 years and you're a brand spanking new believer just out of the womb today, you are both completely forgiven. No one of you has a higher standing than the other. And that truth, understanding we're totally forgiven, is crucial if we're going to go deeper with Jesus. Because if I don't know that I'm forgiven or if I'm still trying to earn forgiveness in some way, I won't mature. You can't mature. Knowing where you stand with God is crucial to being able to walk after God. 
Because if you don't know where you stand with God, when God is walking and he says, follow me, you'll think, why, he surely doesn't mean me. That promise I read in the scripture surely isn't for me. That call from scripture of how God wants to use me, surely that's not for me. And so I ask you this morning, however long you've been walking with the Lord, do you know, are you convinced that you're totally forgiven? Because you are. Are you convinced that the guilt for all your sins, past, present, and future, that they've been totally expunged? And have you accepted that, God's forgiveness? Because if not, that might be one of the reasons you're struggling with these first two tests. That you look at them and you go, ugh, I don't, I'm not really, I don't really love people that much. And I'm not, my life probably wouldn't be characterized by obedience. Well, maybe you are born again. You just need to recognize who you are in Christ so you can start walking. You can't walk until you stand up. Now, having addressed the standing that all believers have in verse 12, John now, when we get to verse 13, starts speaking to the different places his audience might be in their walk with God. And first off, he addresses those who are parents in the faith. He says, I write unto you fathers, verse 13, I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. The word fathers here, it is masculine, but when it's in the plural, it refers to both parents. I'm writing unto you parents in the faith. To be a parent in life, a person needs to reach a certain age and a certain level of physical maturity. You can't be a parent until you reach a certain age and a certain level of physical maturity. So John uses this word to refer to a Christian who has walked with the Lord for a while, but one who has also become spiritually mature. Now, being a spiritual parent doesn't require you to have reached a certain physical age. You don't have to can't say, well, I can't be a spiritual parent yet. I'm, I'm not 60 yet. It doesn't require you to reach a certain physical age, but it does require you to have been walking with the Lord long enough that other believers look to you as an example. That's what it requires to be a spiritual parent. You need to have been walking with the Lord long enough that other believers look to you as an example. And so this is what he says here. I'm talking to those of you who are that person. You're in that stage of your growth as a Christian. He says, I'm, I'm writing unto you guys. Everything I'm going to keep saying to you guys is because you have known him that is from the beginning. John explains what all spiritual parents have come to learn, that it's about knowing Jesus. That's who him that is from the beginning is. John already introduced Jesus that way in 1 John 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, Jesus. He's not talking about he who was from eternity, but he who stepped out of eternity into time and space, Jesus. He says, I am writing to you because you've come to that deep, rich relationship with Jesus. You know the Lord. That word known, it's that knowledge that's gained by experience. It's not head knowledge, it's experiential knowledge. It's also in the perfect tense, which means you have completely understood by experience what it means to know Jesus. Men and women who have come to that rich, solid faith over time have learned something important from living in fellowship with Jesus. And it's this, that our growth, our progress comes by knowing Jesus better every day. That's the thing. 
They have figured that out. They have learned that concept, that it comes from knowing Jesus better every day. Why do I bring that up? And why does John bring it up? Because the truth is, you and I can deepen our experience of doing all the right things without deepening our experience in our relationship with Jesus. You can. You can have all the boxes checked and still not deepen your relationship with Jesus. You can go through the motions. You can even realize the importance of it. You can intellectually assent to everything that you are taking in. You can even hear today and hear us saying, that's right, Pastor Will, but if you're not, then go into Jesus with it. Well, you're not there yet. (laughs) You still got to understand what it's all about. Younger believers often get sidetracked on those things. It's not that God's commands aren't important. It's It's recognizing that being able to articulate God's commands or understand God's commands, it's not the same thing as obedience. There's a sickness in the church in the U.S. right now. We say we believe all the right things, but we we don't know. We don't live them out. We don't know what they are. Like if you bump into somebody at a political rally or a conference or some type of thing like that, you know, like, yeah, I'm a believer, and like, I believe the Bible, and I'm like, yeah, why, why are you divorcing your wife? Why are you leaving your husband? Why do you act like that at work? Got quiet, didn't it? Like, we say we believe the Bible, then, like, when we read something, and it's like, yeah, how about this? <laughs> right? Like the ideas of evangelical and fundamental Christianity, they're not in question. If you bump in and like, yeah, we follow the Lord. It's like, yeah, well then why are you why are you chanting pardon the language, but let's go Brandon at church? What's wrong with you? How about let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth? It's not my words, that's the Bible. My pastor used to say quit preaching and gone to meddling, pastor. We need to recognize that being able to articulate God's commands is not the same thing as obedience. And here's the thing, that doing God's commands in a way that satisfies myself doesn't necessarily please the Lord. Like, I can look at my life and I can say, yeah, I'm doing all the right things. But if it only satisfies me, it's a way that I go, well, I feel good about my Christianity and not necessarily pleasing the Lord. Jesus talked about this religious spirit, this problem of knowledge but no relationship. When he talked about the Pharisees in Matthew 23, it's probably the, it is the most scathing rebuke Jesus gives in the Scripture. And there's just two verses at the start of this sermon or teaching or even just conversation Jesus is having. Talking to his disciples and the multitudes, he says in Matthew 23, 2, he says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. They're the spiritual leaders. They're teaching you God's word. And if they share something with you from God's word, then do it. He says, but... Do not you after their works, for they say and do not. 
Don't be like them. If they're sharing the Scripture with you, do what, they, do what they're telling you to do, but don't be like them because what they say, they don't do. You see, those who are spiritual parents, those who have gone deep with Jesus have learned you never arrive at the bottom of that depth, this side of heaven, right? Like you never can get down there and go, I've done it. I've gone as deep with Jesus as I can go. Those who are spiritual parents understand that the joy is in the journey of knowing Jesus, not the destination. That it's, the joy is in the process of knowing him better day by day. We just sang about who you are and how, how much you love us, Lord. You're rich in love, full of mercy, and you're awesome. Okay, well then, why don't we want to get to know him? I think my wife's awesome. I want to spend time with her. I want to talk to her. During church, you know, when she, she's home with a couple of sick kids today, and, and I text her. I was like, hey, I thought I had this thought because I think she's awesome. I don't do that to everybody. So if we talk about how awesome he is, like, why don't we want to know him better? Like, why don't we want to spend time with him? Well, those, those who have become like spiritual parents, they've, they've gotten that. They're like, that's what it's about. And when that's your focus, your walk matures. His commands become about wanting to please him, not to feel good about how you're doing as a Christian. His commands become something I refuse to ignore, not something I need to do or else bad things will happen. And so if that rich relationship with the Lord describes you this morning, John says, I want you to take heart. This letter was written to encourage you and exhort you because that's clear evidence you belong to Jesus. So keep walking with him. Keep going deeper. Listen to the rest of this letter. There's good things here for you. Now, this kind of mature relationship with Jesus takes time. So what about the rest of us? If we're not there yet, is there some other part of the progression that can give us assurance? Yes, John says. So next he says, I write unto you young men. He says, because you have overcome the wicked one. The phrase young man here describes a man who's past the age of puberty, but not necessarily married. He could be a young married guy or just a young single guy. But the idea is it describes the person who has matured enough in life that they can be safely loosed on society. Uh, some people should not have been safely loosed on society. I probably should not have been safely loosed on society when I hit a certain age. But this word's describing someone who is a, they're a decent person. They have matured enough in life that they can be loosed safely on society, but they don't quite have the age or experience in life yet to be considered a model to look up to. So John is using this word to describe a young man or young woman in the faith to describe the believer who's no longer a babe in Christ. This is someone who has matured enough in their faith that they've entered into God's call for their life and they're actively fulfilling it. And so what does that look like? Well, he says, because you have overcome the wicked one. Again, perfect tense. You, not just you, you have overcome him once or twice, but you stand victorious. It refers to a permanent victory after a conflict. The idea is you standing over the neck of your enemy, you've won. You have overcome the wicked one. The wicked one, of course, is a, a phrase the Bible uses for Satan. It means the one who is essentially evil or personifies evil. 
Jesus described him this way in John 8:44 when he said that the Pharisees were like their father, the devil. He described the devil this way. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. You desire the things he desires. And what did he desire? Well, he was a murderer from the beginning. He did not remain in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He personifies or is essentially evil. There's no, like I know it's very popular these days in stories and shows to depict Satan as conflicted. Satan's not conflicted, all right? He is not conflicted. He's not repentant at all. He's not thinking to himself, oh, if I could have only done this better, maybe I'd still be in heaven. No, no. He is full-on rebel. He just wants to steal, kill, and destroy, okay? He's the personification of wickedness. And they they stand victorious over him. Uh, Kenneth Weiss put it this way, These believers were enjoying the fruits of victory, which is a life lived in the power of the Spirit where their victory over Satan is a consistent one. Now, if that victorious Christian life describes you, then John says, take heart. This letter was written to encourage you and exhort you because this is evidence you belong to Jesus. So keep walking with Him. Keep going deeper. Now, you might hear that and say, yeah, but man, I wish I was a parent in the faith already. (laughs) Well, there's nothing wrong with wanting that, but all parents had the status quo of young men at one point. No one skips from babe to parent. So instead of letting the enemy beat you up over who you aren't yet, be encouraged by the progress God has worked in you so far. Now, if you're out there sweating right now, you go, I'm not a parent or a young man in the faith. Is there some part of the progression that can give me assurance that I'm saved? John says, yes, I write unto you little children because you have known the Father. Again, this is a different word than verse 12, which just means born ones. That's all of us, no matter how long we walk with the Lord. This word means a small child who's still under his parents' instruction. This word describes a person who's anywhere from a newborn babe to a teenager who's still living under their parents' authority. Either way, no matter what, where you're at, whether you're on the beginning of that phase or the end of that teenage years. Either way, it's a person who isn't mature enough to be loosed on society yet. Can I give a little word of advice to parents this morning? If you have a teenager, do not give them free reign on the internet. I don't care how old they are or what they know or what they think they can navigate. They are not safe to be loosed on the world yet. I have police officers come here all the time to the church, and they say, hey, can we do a just do, they want, they want to do a seminar on just how dangerous the internet is? If you don't know what Discord channels your kid, you say, what's Discord? If you don't know, don't worry. But if you have a kid and you don't know what Discord channels they're on, you need to know. You need to know who they're chatting with and who they're talking to. Because seven out of ten of the people who are claiming to be just another high schooler or another middle schooler is some pedophile who's 35, 55 years old trying to lure them away. I'm not saying this out of my own mind. I'm saying because of what I hear from the officers who live in our area. So this is someone who's not mature enough to be loosed on society yet. John uses this word to describe the believer who's still learning the basics of the Christian life. They're immature, but they're progressing toward maturity through the influence of solid biblical instruction. And what does that look like? He says they know the Father. 
I render you little children because you have known the Father. Again, this experiential knowledge, again, the perfect tense. They have fully or completely perceived or understood by experience the Father. You see, the difference between the parent and the small child is that the parent has come into an intimate relationship with God the Son, but the small child has begun that journey by coming into an intimate relationship with God the Father. What's the difference between our relationship with Jesus and with the Father? Well, Jesus calls us friends. The Scripture calls us the bride of Christ. It's not that Jesus doesn't ever teach us, but a relationship with a friend or a spouse is way different than the relationship between a father and a child. You see, a child runs to their father for safety and security, for provision and for guidance. It's a different kind of dependence that we might have upon a friend or a spouse. And so, someone who is a small child in the faith, they have that simple trust. They've come to that experience of their relationship with God that they have that simple trust in their heavenly Father. They know where to go when they don't know what to do, and they know where to go when they mess up. They receive His instruction, even if it means going back to Him again and again and again and again. And so, if this kind of dependence and trust in your heavenly Father describes you, then John says, take heart. Yes, you need to grow in obedience and love still, but take heart. This letter is to encourage you and exhort you because that's evidence, because you're trusting in your heavenly Father, that's evidence that you belong to Him, clearly belong to Him. So keep walking with Him. Keep going deeper. Now, you might hear what I just said about these babes in Christ, and you might be thinking, I do know how to run to my heavenly Father, but I've been a Christian long enough that I should be a young man or even a parent in the faith by now. Well, children become young men by listening to their heavenly Father. If I'm a child, I'm going to become a young man in the faith by laying down my right to leaning on my own understanding. And so if you feel like maybe you're stunted in your growth, you need to ask yourself, though I know I need to depend upon my Father, am I? Do I? Because that's where that growth is going to begin. And the cool part is that's not a hard fix. That's an easy fix. And that's why John is writing this letter for you too. He says, listen, you belong to Jesus, but it's time to grow up. So keep going deeper. That's the only way that growth will happen. By thinking, oh, I'm a failure, I'm a loser, I'm never going to get it. No, you're never going to get there that way. You need to be assured of your salvation, and then you need to start listening to your heavenly Father. Now, if you are here this morning and you don't see the need to depend upon the heavenly Father, then you should be concerned. You should be concerned. Or if Jesus or church or Christianity is just one of the things you do in life rather than having a faith that runs to the Father with regularity, you should be concerned then or if you're not seeing progress and growth as a Christian at all. You need to be concerned because it's possible that you've never come out of the womb. It's possible you've never been born, that you've never started the journey, that you need to be born again. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, He said, you must be born again. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus understood the concept. He just didn't think it applied to him. The Jewish people, when they baptized a Gentile and brought them into the faith as a proselyte, a Gentile proselyte, when they did that, they called it being born again. 
Your old life is gone, and now you live a new life. You're going to follow God's law. He understood the concept. He just didn't think a Jew would ever need to be born again. Why would a Jew need to become a Jew? <laughs> was his mindset. And so he says, what are you talking about, Jesus? How can a man go back into his mother's womb? And he goes, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? You know what I'm talking about. Nicodemus eventually was born again. The man who was a teacher of Israel, he finally realized he needed to be born again. If you've never done that, if you're not growing at all, you don't see any evidence of being a believer, then that's what you need to do. You see, Christianity is not a checklist that you mark off as you climb a ladder from being a babe to a young man to a parent. Christianity is about a relationship with God based on my faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's where Nicodemus was tripped up, and that's where he needed to get right. Now, when we end with this note, it can be very easy for someone to think, okay, so 1 John's mostly for younger believers or maybe even for people who don't know the Lord. But lest John's readers and we think that the content of this letter is therefore mainly for those two groups of people, verse 14, John doesn't address an unbeliever or a new believer. He reminds the mature believers who read his letter that all of it, everything he said, is for them. He says, verse 14, I have written unto you. Now, that's different. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you've known him that's from the beginning. But guess what? Everything else I've already said in chapter 1 and chapter 2 before this, everything I said before, I wrote all that stuff about the need to walk in the light, confess your sin, obey the Lord, to love others. I wrote it to you, parents, in the faith too. Because the depth of relationship you've experienced with Jesus teaches you that you can always go deeper. There's always more to learn. You see, unlike the legalist who sees Christianity as an external, external checklist, the mature believer who knows Jesus knows there's always more to learn. There's always another layer of me that isn't like Jesus yet. As a younger believer, I would get to this place where I'd be doing battle with the enemy over something, some area of my life that the Lord says, this needs to change, Will. And you're like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to yield this area of my life to you, God. I'm going I'm to allow your spirit to work in me. And then boom, you're like, yeah, we did it, Lord. Awesome. Yay. Put your foot on the neck of the enemy. You're like, yeah. And the Lord's like, all right, let's peel back the next layer. And he does. And you're like, oh, I didn't know that was there. Cover that up. Thought we won. And then you get all discouraged again. But the mature believer knows, <laughs> you think there's just a few layers of yuckiness under the one you're working on right now? There's infinite layers of yuckiness. And they know that the Lord's always got work to do in us. There's always, there's always more of me that still needs to be made more like Jesus. There's always a need to draw closer to the Lord. Some like to fancy themselves as parents in the faith, but you can't correct them, you can't exhort them, can't challenge them. That's not a sign of maturity, that's a sign of immaturity. All of us have a lot to learn from this letter. All of us have a lot to learn from each other on a regular basis. I, I hear people say sometimes, like, yeah, I don't, I don't fellowship with other believers or go to church because, you know, I mean, I 
I know the Bible. Like, like the pastor's not telling me anything I don't know. In fact, I could probably tell him a few things. Probably right. That's why we need you here. And thus, John, he doesn't leave us with the babe in Christ. He leaves us with first the parent here, and he says, a parent in the faith, and he says, are you listening? I mean, you've known him that's from the beginning. You know Jesus, so you know how this works. Have you listened to everything I already said? Because you need to go read it again, if not, and then perk up for the rest of it. So I ask you this morning, just as John is asking, are you listening? You know, you know if you, you, you think to yourself, you know, I don't need this. I mean, I got a good walk with the Lord. I do my own Bible study. I don't need to be part of any ministries here or anything. You know, is, is that something that's kind of run through your head? Or is that something maybe even you said? Are you letting the Holy Spirit instruct you? Do you have a hunger to go deeper? Or have you grown stagnant and grumpy? Because that's the danger when you get older in the faith, is you can grow stagnant and grumpy. You can become grumpy, irritable Christian like King Asa. King Asa, you know, the prophet comes to him the first time, and he's like, hey, man, as long as you're the eyes of the Lord roaming to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those whose hearts are perfect towards him, and as long as that's the case, you're in a good spot. And King Asa's like, amen, amen, praise the Lord. And then Asa gets older, and the prophet comes up to him, he's like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, put that man in jail. What do you mean put the man in jail? He told you the truth. I don't want to hear the truth. I already know the truth. I don't need anybody to tell me the truth. I've been a king all these years. I, I, I went through all these times. I had to trust the Lord. That's great. You're apparently not doing it now. That's why God sent you a prophet. You got to go deeper. And you've come to some place where you said, I don't need to go deeper. If Paul the apostle can say, I have not, been, I have not apprehended that for which I was apprehended, then all of us have further to go. Somebody agrees with me. And then to the young men in the faith, he reminds them, you guys are victorious for a reason. He says, I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. The word here, strong, it means not you are strong, but you've been made strong. You've been empowered. You've been enabled. The reason that you overcome the wicked one is because you've been enabled, and the Word of God abides in you. The Word of God, you've made, it's made its home in your life. He's, John says, listen, I wrote all that stuff in chapter 1 and 2 about walking in the light and confessing your sin and obeying God's commands and loving others. I wrote all of that to you young men in the faith because you must never forget where your victory comes from. It's not because of your great ability or your wonderful maturity, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through you. It's because God's Word was, has found a home in your heart and in your mind. You see, one of the dangers that when you start experiencing the victorious Christian life is to think, you finally have a handle on this Christianity thing. I think I've got it figured out. So we can start to look at passages in Scripture and our daily devotions, or we can hear the start of a sermon and think, oh, I know that part of the Bible, and kind of check out or partially check out. We can lose that hunger for depending upon our Father for everything because, well, now I understand the nuts and bolts of how Christianity works. I know there's always a temptation to open my Bible and you see where you're at in your Bible reading. You're like, oh, I know what this is about, and then you don't even read it. You don't even read it. You're like, oh, cool, that's great. Yeah, Jesus walked on water and took care of the disciples. God takes care of people. Yo, all right, I'm good. Did my devotion. It's like, there's some words in there you might want to read. 
I try when, when I'm, I'm listening to another, met someone else teach, I say, Lord, speak, your servant's listening. I know there's something new here for me, something fresh, something maybe even I think I know that I'm not really living out. Speak to me. I need to hear your voice. And the Bible says the sheep hear his voice, right? He'll speak. John says, remember what got you here to this victory, a desire to go deeper, because when that starts to wane, so will your victories. And so if you're a young man or young woman in the faith, John asks you, are you listening? Everything I wrote before, did you tune it out? I got a lot more to say. I don't want you to tune that out. Are you listening? Are you letting the Holy Spirit instruct you? You know, is everything you're hearing is for somebody else, or are you taking it to heart? Do you have that hunger to go deeper, or have you become self-confident and self-reliant? And thus, John leaves us all here at the end when he's done with a key that enables us to keep going deeper with Jesus wherever you're at in your progress, in your faith. And it's this. If you or I want to mature as a believer, whatever stage of the Christian life you're at, you need to realize that you will never outgrow your need to depend upon your heavenly Father for everything. You will never outgrow that. The thing you learned as a babe in Christ and you began to experience, you'll never outgrow that. You'll never outgrow your need to run to your heavenly Father to be dependent upon Him for everything. And so, I ask you this morning, as we read through this, are you somewhere on this progression that John gives here? If you are, then rest assured of your salvation. Rest assured of your salvation. Rest in the finished work of Christ and keep depending upon the Father. Keep going deeper with the Lord. Keep growing. Don't let the enemy beat you up. Don't let the enemy tell you you're not forgiven. You're His. Rest there. Stay there. Now, maybe you say, I get that, but I, I'm still a babe or a teenager in Christ, and I want to become a young man in the faith. Well, can I exhort you? That's not going to happen if you refuse to let God's word be at home in your heart, which means it needs to be a priority in your life. It means you need to read it and you need to apply it to your life. It means you need to saturate yourself in it. You need to connect with, with other people who are studying it and going through it. I'm just being blunt with you. Sunday morning isn't enough. It's not enough. That's not going to cut it for you. We can moan over our lack of growth and our desire to mature, but if it, it, there's no other magic pill that all of a sudden sprouts you up to a young, a young man stage. You can, you can go and see Pastor Tom and, and, and say, you know, I know Pastor Will said I got to get in the Word more. I need to probably be in church more and, and Bible studies more. I need to read my Bible more and apply it to my life. But, but is there something else? He's not going to go, yeah, that's one way, but here's another way, and he gives you a pill. There's only one way that we grow like this by abiding in Jesus, by drawing near to Him. You need to learn to walk in the Spirit instead of your own strength. And that, to be frank, is a struggle in our culture right now. We perceive ourselves to be better than every other nation out there. We perceive ourselves to be better than other cultures out there. There's a reason that groups in the Middle East call us the great Satan. It's not just because they hate democracy in America. It's because they look at the debauchery and the licentiousness in our country. 
That's why. They don't want their young men and young women to be corrupted by our wickedness. Now, they've got the wrong idea, but their estimation of our society is not incorrect. (laughs) So, if you're just going to kind of do this Sunday morning thing, you're not going to grow. And the Lord wants you to grow. John wants us to grow. So I strongly encourage you, if you want to become a young man or young woman in the faith, you've got to read your Bible. You've got to apply it to your life. You need more than just what I'm dishing out on Sunday mornings. You need to get with other believers who are going through the Word. Do you want to become a parent in the faith? Maybe you look and you say, I, I, I am in the Word. I, I've got, I'm living that victorious life of the Spirit, but man, I want, I want to impact other people's lives. I want God to use me. Well, then you need to recognize that no matter what victories you aspire to, the greatest aspiration you can have is to know Jesus better. That's the greatest mountain you can climb. And knowing Jesus better might mean laying down some of your own ideas of what mountains you need to climb. I speak to a lot of men who will tell me, I'm called to be a pastor, I'm called to be a missionary, I'm called to be this, I'm called to be that. And I'm like, that's great, but you're not doing it with your family, you're not doing it with your kids, you're not doing it with the people around you. You can say you're going to climb this mountain, and the Lord's like, there's people right here. That's a young man's flaw. A young man just is like, I'm going to get there. I've got this career goal I want to get or this financial status I want to get or this competition level I want to reach and I want to win. And what a parent recognizes go, it'd be cool to climb that mountain, but I'm hanging out here with my kids because they need me. And so if you're too busy thinking about all these things you want to climb and you're always disappointed because why doesn't God call me to climb that mountain? The Lord's saying, you've got the best mountain right here. And if you're not okay with that, you're never going to become a parent in the faith. Everybody can't be in this thing. Trust me, ask the Lord all the time. Find somebody else. I, I, I'm not good at this. I'm not, I, somebody could do better. But everybody can't be here. We don't need 17 children's ministry directors or 14 high school pastors. But your kids need a dad. need a mom to disciple them. Your wife needs a husband who will lay down his life or pour into her, make her the best-fed, best-loved wife in the world. You got people at your work environment. You got people that you can connect to right here in the body of Christ that you can just serve and pour into. And as you're faithful in those things and recognizing, hey, it's all about just knowing Jesus better. I don't need to have some status to be happy in life. I just want to know the Lord. I just want to go wherever he sends me, do whatever he calls me to do. And if it means stay right here, then I'm good with that. I just want to please him right where I'm at. Well, you'll start influencing people (laughs) because you're going to flourish right there. People, God, you're going to grow. You're going to get to know Jesus better. All right. If I just stuck to my notes, I would end on time. Every time. As the worship team comes up, I've got one last thought to throw out at you. Are you not on this list of progression this morning? Because if you're, if you're not, then you need to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And if the answer is no, I don't think I'm in the faith, then 
You need to repent and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus. God's promise to you is that if you repent and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus, you'll be born again. You'll be born from above. You'll start on that journey. And then God will take you wherever he wants you to go as you run to your heavenly Father and start trusting in him. If you've not done that yet, as we sing this last song, make that decision to follow Christ. Let's all stand. Lord, you see every heart that's here this morning, and I pray for everyone who's born again here, Lord. My prayer is that everyone who is here is born again. And Lord, that for every one of my brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would assure them of their salvation, that they would leave here knowing they're completely forgiven. Lord, even the exhortation at the end to, to grow, that, that whether they're, they're a babe, and to grow into being a young man or a young man growing into being a parent in the faith, Lord, that that would not be condemning, but, but rather, Lord, that the base of everything would be we're forgiven, completely washed clean. Our sins have been totally expunged, and that's why we can receive those corrections and see our need to grow. But for every one of them, Lord, let them leave here today knowing, Lord, that they're your kid. They're your born one, precious to you. And then, Lord, wherever we're at in our growth, continue to mature us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.